Welcome to the Long Island Abundant Life Church English Ministry Sermon Archive. This message, delivered on April 28, 2013, is from our series on Christian family. It is entitled, How to Be Angry. If you could please turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26. We're going to be reading Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 this morning. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 from the ESV. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So, a short scripture reading today, right? Um, But we uh, have started this past month a series on families, on Christian families. And uh, Pastor Howe gave us a great introduction, also from this book of Ephesians, um, giving some of the groundwork, the foundation for uh, what it means to be a Christian family, um, some of those uh, household rules and regulations the Bible lists in a couple places. And uh, then last time we got together, we talked about being families of the Word. And, um, then last week, Pastor, uh, Chaplain Gary, he spoke to us about living out our beliefs, not just knowing things, but living them out as well. And so as we come together today, we're going to be talking about this passage and uh, you might wonder, how, what does this have to do with families? How does this uh, really relate? And you see, if you have a, a sermon or a bulletin, the sermon title is How to Be Angry. And really, uh, there's a big question as we come to this subject of uh, Christian families that is often asked. If you read the New Testament very closely and you're looking for things having to do with families, there's been the question asked, if families are so important, and particularly in our country today, there's, in, in Christian circles, there's so much emphasis and focus and talk about family, and there's you know, family, life radio, and all these things, and, and resources for family. And people ask, if it's so important, why does the Bible not say more about family specifically? There's really just actually just a couple of passages that particularly talk about this. And uh, I want to answer that really quickly. And the reason that the Bible does not do that is that so much of what the Bible says about the church also applies to families, that it speaks of us as a church, um, here as a congregation, you know, looking further out into even this country and this whole world, a church as a whole, as the family of God. And so when it gives us um, things to do and ways to treat one another as a church, I believe all of those things apply to families as well, maybe in a more specific way and maybe in a slightly different way. But I think all of those things apply. And so that's why we come to this passage this morning. You might ask, well, why, why are we talking about anger? And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, really, this is going to be kind of a, a talk, a, a sermon, really quick overview of some of the things that we can do for resolving conflict in our families. This is a really, really big deal. And I have a, a mentor that I've had for a long time, since I was in college, and he told the story when he was passing in Michigan. And um, he received a call in the middle of the night, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. And those are, as a pastor, the kind of calls you don't really like receiving, not because you have to be woken up in the middle of the night, but because you know no one calls you at 3 in the morning unless it's something really, really important. And, and here's what happened. It's, he answers the phone, and uh, it's a woman in the church, and he, he knows you know, like something really bad must have happened because this family, he's been working with them for a long time, and they uh, were family together, and they had grown adult kids, and there had been a lot of arguments about money. 
um, that were going on. Uh, exactly what should be done with money. They were, they were a relatively wealthy family. And what had happened is that um, the grown adult kids had kind of taken sides, some of them on the father's side and some of them on the mother's side. And so he, he knows this. Um, and when he hears the woman's voice, he receives the call. He knows that this is the background. And what happened was this. Is that she was hiding in a neighbor's house because her, her adult son had come to their house in the middle of the night and had started shooting their entire as he went through the house and was systematically murdering the entire family, she managed to escape. And she went through the neighborhood and actually broken into a house and was hiding in the entryway to their house and had called him before she called anyone else and just wondering, what should I do? How, I don't even know what to do. And so he, of course, told her to call the police. And, and as the situation unfolded, they found out more and the son ended up um, actually killing himself as well. But my question for you is, how do we get to this place? You know, even these past couple of weeks, we're thinking about the violence that we've witnessed. But even, I think particularly in this story, in this situation, how could a Christian family, uh, this family that supposedly knows God, goes to church and shows every indication of that, how can you have this person and the family so consumed with anger, so consumed with conflict that it comes to this? Say, so that's, that's one reason I want to talk about this today, because I think it's very important. And I, I'm not saying, and I don't think, that this is a situation that most of our families are going to get in. But it can get that far. And I think we need to examine, how does it get to that place? Because I'm sure that family would never say, yes, you know, in three months, in two years, this is the place that our family will be. This is how bad things will have gotten. <clears throat> Number two, and... Uh, this one is slightly more personal. This is, uh, and this is, when we first moved, okay, we moved to Long Island, and for about a year, a long time, uh, it seemed like a long time to me, people would ask Rachel and I, what's, what's the difference, like, how are you settling in, and what do you see, like, the difference between, um, you know, where you lived before, Midwest or China or whatever, and Long Island, and I said, you know, there's not really a whole lot of difference, you know, people act busier and, and some things like that, but and traffic's really bad, but relatively minor things. But something I have noticed as I've lived here, and this is not actually specifically to, I would say, this church or this congregation, but just as a whole. And something I have noted uh, in living in Long Island is, is that people in Long Island are very angry. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but, like, especially driving. <laughs> like, People just fly off the handle so quickly, but I've just, um, at least compared to living in the Midwest, um, there's like this collective anger that, that it seems like people feel, and, and people just fly off the handle so quickly. And like I said, this is not necessarily um, impugning you guys in particular. It's just whole, this culture, we, we live, I think, in a culture with a lot more anger than is healthy in this island. And... That's been my observation. So that's the second reason I want to talk about it. And third is that this is probably, I believe, my biggest struggle with sin is anger. And I know that that you guys probably don't see it in me a lot as a pastor, but I know that my personally my family does, that this is probably, in my opinion, one of my weakest areas. And so that's why I want to address it. I want to think about it. I always want to be aware of this as well. And so as, as we talk about this, um, we're 
into this book and this passage understanding that. that this, uh, if you're here today and, and you don't think of yourself as part of a family, you know, you're not married, you don't have kids, this absolutely applies to you today because this is speaking about the family of God. And so this book, Ephesians, just to give you some context here, uh, a really famous, this book is famous for being a great exposition on the church. And the first couple chapters just really talk about uh, our salvation, the church, so deeply. And then, as is often in the letters of Paul, the apostle, that it, it shifts into more practical matters. And so we enter into to chapter 4, and he starts out with this statement. He says, Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so he comes to this people, this, this church, this group of churches, and he says, all this stuff that I've been talking about, now I want you to understand that what this all means for you is that you need to live a changed life. And more particularly in this book, in that section, it says that you need to come together and understand one another and live in peace. And he goes into this exposition again, he kind of gets, maybe we would say, a little sidetracked. And he talks about why God has given uh, certain gifts to the church and to his people, like grace, like teachers and prophets. And, and ultimately, he keeps coming back to this idea, if you read chapter 4 leading up, that the, the reason he has given these gifts is that we might live together, building one another up in love and in peace, so that we as a church stand in love and peace. Enter this section where he gets very, very practical, very specific things that we can do. says, um, verse 25, their way, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members. Of- <clears throat> and then we enter this passage here Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so this is how we get to this passage here today, a passage that, again, I believe is so important for us as a group at large, as a church in America, and particularly to our families, that this is something we must learn how to do. We must learn how to resolve our conflicts and how to be angry. And I want you to notice something here. I really, there's a, up when we look at this passage in, um, in the ESV, the, the translation I'm using, the one that's in our pew Bibles, it, it says something that most people can, might consider interesting. It, it says, be angry and do not sin. Now, this is a, a quote from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. And you'll notice uh, if you have the NIV, probably some of you might be using the NIV, it, it makes a change. It says, if you are angry, do not sin. So there's a question here. Is this actually a command? Is it telling us to be angry? Or is it giving us permission if we are angry? And I think that more accurately, it's saying if you are angry. Um, okay? And, and I, I don't know that, the, that Paul is saying here to us, okay, guys, go out and be angry. But he's saying when this does occur, because it will happen, you will be angry. Do not sin. So there's an important distinction here when we understand that, that anger in itself is not sin. And this is so important to understand. As we talk about conflict, I would say that most conflict starts with anger. 
in your anger, if you are angry, be angry and do not sin. Anger is not sin. Anger is an emotion. It is something you feel. And then you act upon that. Okay? So the, the, the passage here, the text is saying, when you do get angry, because you will, do not sin. Okay? So first important distinction. I also want to say that a lot of uh, people might come up with this passage and, and approach it and say, well, what about righteous anger? Like Jesus goes into the, the temple, overturns tables, and he makes uh, a whip of cords. And you'd say, well, obviously that's righteous anger. So is, is this just talking about righteous anger? I would say that it is speaking about righteous anger, first of all, but that in us in particular, righteous anger is very, very rare. That we see some great injustice to someone else that has nothing to do with us, and it makes us truly angry. Usually, anger stems from something that has happened to us, something that has transpired that has made us feel a certain way. Okay, so I, I want to give you a set of questions. This is, in a lot of ways, a very, very practical sermon, and I want to give you some questions to think about and assess I sinning in my anger? What might lead me to sin when I am angry, and how do I deal with it? You see in the, in the bulletin, the outline, I'm not you know, hiding what we're going to talk about. First of all, do not sin, and all through it, we're going we're to talk about this. But then the second one is to deal with it, and we're going to come to that in just a second. The, the biggest thing we need to understand, though, before we get any of this, is that we need to learn to deal with our anger quickly. And I would say that's the foundation of everything. That if you want to understand the key, the biggest key, and the foundation of, of not sinning in your anger, it is learning to deal with it quickly. Okay? And we'll come back to that in just a second. So questions to consider about your anger. Watch out for these things. Number one, do I get angry about the right things? What is it that makes you angry? What makes you frustrated? And, and again, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking that conflict in families, conflict in our churches, conflict in our lives starts with this anger, and then it, it brings other people into it, and it turns into the conflict that we see so often. Am I angry about the right things? Do I get angry about the right things? What is it that makes you angry when it happens to you? Is it disappointment is it embarrassment? Is it having to do with you? Or is it, as we spoke about before, righteous anger? That you see injustice in the world and, and you get angry about it, but that anger does not lead to sin. It leads to righteousness, that you seek to do something about that. Or is your anger about things that happen to you, injustices that have happened to you or are happening to you or might happen to you or that you even perceive are happening to you? Okay, so first question you ask yourself, why am I getting angry? Am I getting angry about the right things? Or am I getting angry about selfish things, in essence? Number two, do I express anger in the right way? What is the right way to express anger? We also will come back to this in just a second, but I'm going to make a suggestion to you you who are living with roommates, you who are living with your parents, you who are living in a family. The right way to express your anger is to tell people about it. It is not to, to lash out, but it is to come to them and just to say, 
in the, in the heat of that moment, and I know this is so difficult, and it's why we're talking about it. You say, right now, I am angry. Calmly say it. Right now, I'm angry, and I want to deal with it with you. I, I don't want to be angry, and I want to solve this problem. And, it, and don't show it. Say it. Say, I'm angry right now. Let's, let's work it out. What is the right way to express anger? Do you express your anger in the right way? Do you express it by belittling? Do you express it by yelling? Or do you express it by just saying, let's deal with this. Can we please, I'm feeling very angry right now. Let's sit down together and work it out. Number three, how controlled is your anger? Okay, we're, we're trying to think about if we are sinning or not in our anger, how we can stop from sinning in our anger. When you get angry, are you in control? This is something that the Bible comes to again and again and again in so many different ways. But it is particularly shown, I think, in Ephesians chapter 5 later on in this book, where it talks about, um, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it contrasts those things. It says, when you are drunk, you are not in control of yourself. It leads to a lot of uh, translations say dissipation, lack of control, craziness but be filled by the Holy Spirit. What does that lead to? Christ-likeness. And what the Bible consistently puts in front of us about, you know, like, I don't think that it necessarily says, um, particularly, like, about illegal drugs, like, don't do this drug, don't do that drug. Um, But it says, you need to remain in control of yourself. Okay? You cannot lose control. You must let the Spirit control you. Let the Spirit control your actions. Walk in the Spirit. And so I ask here, when you're getting angry, are you in control? Is the Spirit in control? Or are you letting that emotion and that anger control you? Because if you are, you are, I think, either sinning or you are barreling toward sinning very quickly. Okay, so how controlled is your anger? What motivates your anger? This is very similar to the first question. What is the effect of your anger? What is the effect of your anger? What happens when you're angry? Again, do you lash out at people? Does it lead to argument? Does it lead to a rift in a relationship? Or do you deal with it? And then last of all, how long does your anger last? And this is going to lead us into the second and foundational uh, truth in this passage, I think, about anger and what the Bible has to say about it. How long does your anger last? So let's look at this next Part of the passage. It says, Be angry, or if you're angry, do not and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, some people take this very literally. You know, I've read a lot of like marriage books and stuff, and they're like, Don't go to bed when you're angry. Okay? And I think that is a great application, but I was reading some commentaries on this and stuff, and, and they were very quick to point out that the point is not just sunset. It's not just, okay, don't don't go to sleep. But it is, deal with your anger quickly. Because if it was just the sun setting, then man, those people up in Alaska must be some really, really angry people. You know? Or you know, these places where daylight lasts for so long, or, or nighttime lasts for so long. Like, it has nothing really to do with the sun in particular. What it is saying here is, deal with your anger and deal with it quickly. Okay? Um, this is... This is really hard, and I want, to, um, I want to make a suggestion to you, and I've already alluded to this in one way, but um, both what I think the, the Bible says about 
this indirectly, and, and what a, a lot of science has said about this, is that anger is what is called um, a shielding emotion, a protective emotion. That anger in, its, in and of itself is not an emotion that very easily arises. The only circumstance that anger is an emotion unto itself is what we talked about before, righteous anger. But far more often, it is what is called this protective or shielding emotion. That you feel angry because you don't want to feel something else. That you start to feel hurt by something. And so anger comes to take over that emotion because you do not want to feel that emotion. You feel embarrassed. You feel um, disappointed. It's so many different things that you in yourself and I would say maybe even your subconscious, your, your body, your mind does not want to deal with those emotions. And so it throws up anger instead and says, let's deal with this emotion instead because this emotion makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel in control when you're not in control. And so the, the reason I bring this up here is I want to go back to the first solution, the very first step in this Christian family, Christian as a whole conflict resolution, and that is come to someone and say, I am angry now. And if you have the ability, if you have the ability and the control to do so, to even dig deeper into that and say, I am hurt by what you said. I am disappointed in you. Uh, whatever it is, to dig deeper into that emotion and say, this is what's going on. But if you can't, just come and say, I'm angry right now, and say it calmly. Now, if you are the person on the receiving end of that, maybe you are also angry. But if you are not, and you have someone tell you this, I encourage you to think the same way. R.C. Sproul, um, this theologian, he's been around for a long time, he was writing on this passage and he, he suggested that when someone comes to you and says, I'm angry, or even starts to express anger, that what you should instead do is hear them saying, I am hurt right now, or I am afraid, or whatever the situation might be. Because when you have someone come to you and say, I'm angry, that might make you feel angry. But when someone comes to you and says, I am hurt, you treat that person very, very differently. And that's what I think this passage in so many ways from the beginning of Ephesians to this section right here and this talk about truth and falsehood, it has a lot to do with this. And when it says consider one another better than yourselves, bear each other's burdens, I think this is one of the ways it happens. That we listen to what people say and instead of assuming the worst from them, we assume the best. And so when someone comes and says, I'm angry with you, we look past our own anger and say, I think this person is hurt. How do I treat someone who is hurt? Someone who's disappointed? Someone who's embarrassed? How do I do that? How would I treat that person? Because I would treat that person much different than a person who is angry and who is threatening me. And this takes so much. It is so hard to do this. But this is the key. It is the Spirit working in us. This is walk in the Spirit. I think this is one of the ways that it happens. And these are, I think, as we look at this passage, the foundational truths about how we understand anger, how we think about this. And then one more foundational truth from this passage that I think is so incredibly, I can't even state how important it is on this subject. Okay? Verse 27. Let's read it a second and think about it. Because 
particularly, I think, in the NIV, it's a very terrifying verse. It's not one that maybe you'd think is terrifying, like some of the things in Revelation that we read about, or things like, like that. But it says this, in the ESV it says, and give no opportunity to the devil, or at the NIV, perhaps better, do not give the devil a foothold. What this passage says is that if you are angry, you are inviting Satan into your life. And I don't think most of us would say, I want you to come. Satan, come into my life right now. Do what you will. Destroy it. I want you to do that. What this passage says, if you let anger in, if you let sin and anger in, you do not deal with your anger, you are inviting Satan to come into your life. To wiggle his way in through that door that you have opened for him. Maybe even just a crack. Maybe it's wide open. But I want us to consider this. I want you to, to encourage you to live in this knowledge that it, there's no two ways about it. It says that if you do this, you are inviting Satan to have reign in your life in this way. So important to know. So important to realize. Okay? I want us to get this. Because this is more than just saying, oh, you should, you should just be a pansy all the time and be a pushover and, and all this stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying be aggressive with your love for people. Be aggressive in your understanding of people. Show Christ's love so deeply that you are transformed. Okay? Show righteous anger if it's appropriate. But beware that that's what it actually is. Because if it's not, you give an opportunity for Satan. You open the door. I'm not trying to be alarmist here, but I really feel that this is what this passage is saying, and we need to be careful of it, particularly in the culture in which we live, that we so easily go into anger. And as I've said, this is a terrifying passage to me in particular, because this is one of my biggest struggles is anger. And I look at this passage, and and it scares me. So I'm asking you, because I've searched my own heart in this, and I've found that this is probably the case in so many instances. You, you come or you're thinking and you're like, I feel so far from God. It just seems like I seek him and I can never find him. My question for you is, are you an angry person? Are you letting Satan in here? Are you letting this happen? Because if you are, this is, I think there's one big reason that you might be feeling far from God. Because you're opening that door. You're letting this happen. Okay? Foundational, foundational stuff. I want to leave you um, with uh, just a few ideas. Now, ultimately, I wish, uh, and I think maybe hopefully later on we, could, we can do some kind of workshop more specifically on this to get more like step-by-step um, on how we can learn to deal with these things um, and deal with anger and conflict in a family. This is very big overview, you know, quickly, foundationally, by what the but I want to leave you with uh, what has been called by another pastor, Ten Commandments of Christian Conflict Resolution. So whether, again, whether you are single, you're a teenager, you're married, you know, whatever is going on, this applies to everyone. And I've encouraged you in the past to think about whoever you are with, whether it's roommates, it's family, whatever, think of those people as your family. Think of all of us here in this church as your family and God. That's how this applies. So, so it's not like I'm just saying, hey, married people, hey, kids, this is just for you, and the rest of you are off the hook. No one is off the hook here. 
This is for all of us. What does the Bible say about conflict resolution? And these are going to be some straight verses. Um, I don't have them in the bulletin. If you want to write them down, you can do that. If you want them later, you can shoot me an email or ask me, and I can, I can send you my notes uh, if you want to look at these things. What does the Bible say? Ten commandments about Christian conflict resolution. First of all, easy, we've already talked about it. Deal with the problem quickly. Ephesians 4.26. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Okay? Deal with the problem quickly. Number two, don't assume their motivation. You're angry at someone, you're, you're fighting with someone, don't assume what their motivation is. Talk to them, find out what it is. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 5, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Okay? Make sure you understand what is going on. Make sure you're seeking to know what is going on. Don't assume that you know what someone else is thinking or feeling. Okay? Number three, pray for inner peace. This is Philippians 4, 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And there are, there are other verses I could list as well for this, but, but come to that person, whoever it is, in peace. Pray for peace, that God would give you the peace to do that. Deal with the problem privately, number four. This is a pretty famous passage that is often applied to church and church discipline, but um, I think the context given applies... It in that case, but also it says, if a brother sins against you, if a sister sins against you, how do you respond to that? And Matthew eighteen fifteen says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. So don't, don't just come out and, and burst out in anger in front of all these people. Go to that person first. Deal with it first and say, look, this is what happened. The suggestion we talked about before. I'm angry. I'm disappointed. You hurt me. You embarrassed me when you did this. Bring that sin to them between just you two. Deal with it together. Don't blow it up in front of everyone. Don't gossip about it. Don't spread it around. Don't go and get another friend to talk to them about it. Go to them first and say, you hurt me. Okay, let's deal with this. Number five, listen before answering. This is James 1.19. Listen before answering. Be quick to listen Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Exactly what we're talking about today. This goes right along with not assuming the motivation. Let's read that again. Be quick to listen. Listen first. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Okay? Listen before answering. Don't just wait for them to finish talking or interrupt them so you can say what you want to say. But wait and listen. Understand. Number six, tame your tongue. whole chapter in James about this, but this verse I'm looking at right now is Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Be wise. Bring healing with your words. Don't just start jabbing and, and poking at people. Okay? Tame your tongue. Learn to be in control of it. Number seven, ignore petty insults. What this means, if someone comes at you and they, they're just trying to say something just to hurt you, 
and you know that. Ignore it, okay? This, is, this comes with the whole territory of learning to control this anger. This is uh, Proverbs twelve sixteen. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. It says that if you get angry at those small insults, that if you, if you rise up against that, that you're a fool. It says a fool is the one who gets angry at those petty insults, at those small annoyances. But the wise person, they, they wait it out. He overlooks an insult. Okay? Seek a win-win situation. This is Philippians 2.4. Um, and, and I think this, uh, this can apply in a lot of ways, but it says in Philippians 2.4, look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This applies in so many ways, but I think it applies here as well. Look not only to your interests, but also to the interests of others. When you're seeking a, situation, a solution to your situation, don't just look for your benefit, but look for that person's benefit, those people's benefit as well. Okay? Try forgiveness. Forgive even if you don't feel like it. Okay? Luke 6.37, forgive and you will be forgiven. That the Bible consistently comes to us and says, you have been forgiven so much by God, more than you can ever even comprehend, and you would dare to not forgive others for these small annoyances, these small problems, maybe even a big thing. But those, those big things in your life, compared to the fact that you rejected God and your sin put Jesus on the cross and killed him, is nothing. God has forgiven you those sins, and it says, if you've experienced that, how can you not forgive someone else? How could you possibly not forgive someone else? So try forgiveness. Say, I forgive you, and right now, I don't even feel like forgiving you. I am still hurt by this, but I make the choice to forgive you, and I hope the feelings come later. Okay? And then 10, repay evil with good. Romans 12, 14, and verse 21 as well. Bless those who persecute you. And then verse 21, overcome evil with good. So often we want to, to get something, you know, some, some kind of insult, some kind of pain, and take that and throw it back at the person. And it solves nothing. It changes nothing. It makes it worse. This says... You, Christian, who have been changed, who have been purchased, who have been bought by God, overcome evil, not with more evil, not with violence, not with hate, not with anger. Overcome evil with good, because ultimately good is so much more powerful than evil. Forgiveness is so much more powerful than revenge. Overcome evil with good. I think that's a great way to summarize what we've been talking about today. When we talk about this concept of anger, we talk about conflict and, and relationships and families. Summarize it all. Overcome evil with good. There's so many practicalities here. There's so many things to do, so many things to look at. But that's, I think, how we can sum it up. Look always for the good. Give always the good. Seek to make amends. Give forgiveness. Realize that your anger gives the devil a foothold. That you, even though you're feeling that, if you deal with it quickly, you are not sinning. Okay? Deal with it quickly and don't sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Deal with it quickly. Do not give the devil a foothold. This is a, a, such a great and powerful passage. And uh, I hope 
that as we've been looking through the Bible, what it says about this topic, I hope it's been practical. I hope it's been helpful in some ways. And most of all, I think, again, that this is an issue and a topic that we need desperately to think about, to meditate on, to understand, and to be changed in this area. So let's pray, and then I'll invite the, the worship band to come up and we'll sing a song of response. God, we thank you for who you are, that you are a loving, forgiving God, that, that your word does talk about you being angry, but it is about sin, about things that are evil, and is not just about offenses, petty things. We ask that in our lives that we would, if we are angry, be angry about the right things, that we would learn to deal with our anger, that we and our families would deal with our conflict so that it does not tear us apart. That we would be transformed by you. And one of the ways, the big ways that we would, we would be transformed by your spirit, by your salvation, is that we would be people of love and forgiveness. That you, Jesus, said that all men would know that we are your disciples because we have love for one another. That we would make this one of the primary ways that we are different from the world that we show that we are your children, that we love one another. We do not hate. We do not become quick to anger, but we learn how to deal with this issue. We ask that you would give us the strength of your spirit to deal with it, that we would acknowledge you, Jesus, as king by living lives according to the laws of your kingdom. And this is one of the ways to do it. We thank you, Jesus, for your your sacrifice that has secured forgiveness for us, your resurrection that gifted your righteousness to us, that we can be citizens of your kingdom even now as we wait the day in which you will return. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.